0: The sermon is entitled, Who is Jesus? Maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time, but if we're honest, you may have forgotten who he really is. Is it possible to believe in Jesus and then begin to forget who he really is? Yes. Maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe you're kind of a seeker of truth. And you've arrived here because somebody invited you or because you saw a sign or a Facebook ad and you're thinking, okay, who is Jesus? Today, we're gonna talk about that. Now, to answer this question, we could go to a lot of sources. Uh, we could go to historians who have tried to answer the question, who is Jesus? We could go to um, theologians who have tried to answer the question, who is Jesus? But instead of going to these outside individuals, these men and women, instead, let's see what Jesus says about himself in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Let's have Jesus describe himself. And in John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says of himself, I am the way. I am." the truth, I am the life. No man goes to God the Father except through me. So when Jesus is asked to describe himself, Jesus simply says, I'll tell you who I am. I am the way, the truth, the life. That's who he is. Sounds very exclusive, doesn't it? Sounds like a dogmatic statement. It sounds like an absolute. And we, as Americans, don't like absolutes. We don't like absolute truths. We like relative truths. We don't like demanding statements and dogmatic statements. For example, if I were to say to you that the only place to get a good hamburger in town is five guys with fries. Somebody knew it in the back, yes, hallelujah. How many of you agree this is the only place to get a hamburger in town? Raise your hand. How many of you? Four of us, fantastic. That's good, great, four. How many of you would disagree? You say, no, there are other places. How many of you, did what's another place? What's a better place? McDonald's, please help this child. Please, someone train this child. How many of you agree McDonald's has the best fries in the world, right? But their hamburgers can go away. All right, let's be a- Somebody else, another burger in town. What? Red Robin, Robin. he's the manager of Red Robin, people. Let's just be honest. (laughs) Let's be honest, like who else would say Red Robin unless he's the manager of Red Robin. Now we don't like absolutes. For example, if I were to say the only place to get a phone is from Apple, some Android users would be upset if I said the only football team is the Las Vegas Raiders. There's like seven of you, they're in your city. (laughs) My word, Las Vegas. Because we don't like absolutes. We don't like absolute statements. And that's when Jesus interrupts and he says, let me give you an absolute. Here's an absolute. I am the way, the only way, the way. I am the truth, the only truth, the truth. I am the life, the only life, the life. Another way to say it is this. Let me put it on the screen. Big statement for today. Your life will have direction, certainty, and the promise of eternity if you follow Jesus Christ. You will have the way, direction, you will have certainty, truth, and you will have the promise of eternal life. There's life. The converse is also true. Hear me, friend. If you don't follow Jesus Christ, you have no direction, you're wandering in life. You're lost like a sheep away from the shepherd. You have no certainty. You don't know what is right and wrong. You can't tell the difference between good and evil. You have no certainty. I'll show you in a moment. And you have no promise of eternal life. In fact, quite the opposite. You are promised eternal damnation for the sins you've committed, and so am I. Jesus Christ is your only hope. Now, now. I know that's a big statement, and I've got 25 minutes to prove it. Let's see if I can. By the way, it's not my statement, it's Jesus' statement. Isn't Jesus such a dogmatic person? Let's see what he says, as he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let's talk about it in three parts. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus says, number one, I am the way. Say it with me, I am the way. Say it with me, I am the way. Say it again, I am the way. What way? Jesus Christ is the only way. I want you to picture in your mind. In your mind, I want you to imagine with me A grassy plain up to a hillside green grass it's hard to imagine because you live in Las Vegas (laughs) green grass up to the hillside and there's a there's a rock sticking out of the hillside and sitting on top of that outcropping of rock is a teacher and he's wearing he's wearing a carpenter's robe and surrounding him There are not dozens and hundreds of people, there are thousands of people. And you've arrived because a friend invited you to hear about this carpenter, teacher, rabbi from Nazareth. And so when you arrive, you walk through the crowd a little bit and find an open spot, and as you do, you hear the very first words. Jesus says, come unto me. And you think at first, he must be talking to me, but he's not, it's part of his sermon. Come unto me, he says, all you who are weary and are levy laden, and I will give you rest. And you think to yourself, rest? I need rest. And suddenly the message of Jesus is not subjective for all, it's directive for you. And you think to yourself, that's what I need, rest. How is your your way treating you? The way you've created for yourself, the life you've established, the system that you set up for your life, You realize that you're in charge of your life, don't you? You realize that you have autonomy, agency, free will, which means the system that you've created for your life is putting out exactly what it's supposed to put out. You say, what do you mean, Pastor Josh? When Jesus calls you to a new way, he understands this truth from Dallas Willard, and that is your system is perfectly designed to yield the results that you are currently getting how is the lifestyle system that you've set up for yourself treating you? You say, well, I'm tired. The system is perfectly designed to yield the results that you are currently getting. Stop being tired by finding another way. You say, I'm filled with anxiety and fear and worry. Your system is perfectly designed to yield the results that you're perfectly getting. Stop being filled with anxiety, worry, and fear by finding a new way. See, I'm filled with restlessness. I'm filled with desire. I'm filled with a a, a lust and a passion for things that I'll never have. What do I do? Your your system is perfectly designed to yield the results that you're currently getting. Find a new way. Can I tell you, friends, listen, however your system has put you in the situation that you're in, I'm telling you today, here's your Easter gift. There is a better way. It is the way of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And you can follow the way of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is understand who he is. If you're tired, he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. If you're filled with anxiety, worry, and fear, his followers tell us, us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. If you're filled with restlessness, hunger, thirst, and deep desire that will never seemingly be satisfied, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who drinks of me will never thirst. Hey, friend, hey, friend, here's what I'm saying to you today. Are you looking for another way? Jesus is that way. So number one, we see today, Jesus says, I am the way. Say, I am the way. Number two, Jesus says, I am the truth. Say it with me. I am the truth. What truth are you following? What philosophy of life have you placed inside of your mind? Now I want you to imagine with me. Imagine with me. A politician, no, not that politician, an ancient politician, a Roman politician, a Roman politician in a nice, beautiful, expensive designer tunic, white and pure, gold sash around his shoulder, and now this Roman politician is standing in front of a a criminal, a peasant of sorts. This criminal clearly has been roughed up. You can see the bruises on his face. You can see blood trickling from his left eyebrow. And you can see the man staring at him, very confused and dazed. The Ro- Roman politician says to this criminal, they say that you're a king. <laughs> Are you a king? The criminal says nothing. Nothing. But You don't hear me. Don't you realize I have the power to save your life or to take it? Are you a king then? The prisoner finally looks up and responds. You say that I am a king. For this purpose was I born to bear witness of the truth. Truth? (laughs) What is truth anyway? You see, the problem with Pontius Pilate is that he was so confused by the Roman system that he could not see truth when it was staring him in the face. And he is like so many of us as Americans. We have been confused by so many false narratives and false truths and wicked philosophies of this world. We cannot see the truth when we stare at Jesus in the face. You say, what kind of philosophies does the world fall into? Well, one philosophy the world falls into is hedonism. And this word hedonism is something that a Las Vegan you need to know. You say, Pastor, I'm a Las Vegan. I already know the word hedonism. Hedonism is an ancient philosophy that has gone by many different terms throughout history in many different cultures. It basically means that you live a life that is based on this singular truth. I elevate pleasure. Above all things, I do whatever I can do to continually pursue pleasure for me. If it feels good, I do it. If it doesn't feel good, I don't do it. Why? Because all I care about is the moment, me, selfishness, pleasure, hedonism, and the Bible calls it sin. The greatest hedonist throughout history, in my opinion, was an emperor named Nero, Nero was actually the emperor during the time of the book of Acts in the Bible. And he was notorious. We would call him the ancient rock star of antiquity. This guy held nothing back. Whatever he wanted, he took. He was known most broadly for his drunken orgies constantly, bringing all sorts of men and women from slaves to the high societies inside of his palace for days on end, drunken, gluttonous feasts, There were orgies. This is what he did. Why? Because he wanted to. You say, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with it because he's a hedonist. And the hedonist says, if I want it, I take it because life is about giving me pleasure. So much of a hedonist he was that his mother, his mother became a threat to the throne. At least that's what Nero heard. And when he heard that his mother might be a threat to the throne, he murdered his own mother. You say, big deal, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Because he's a hedonist. And his truth, his truth, his truth was that he lived for himself and what he wanted. One day, his beloved wife, whom he really did, from all accounts, truly love, got pregnant. And he found out that the child was a boy. Because he was threatened by that idea, he threw his wife to the ground and began to kick his wife in the belly until she miscarried. You say, that's terrible. Why is it terrible? Why? Who says it's terrible? It gave him pleasure. Isn't it okay to do whatever it does to give you pleasure? Isn't that your truth? Don't we all live by our different truths? Who are you to judge him taking the life of his own child in the womb? Who are you? Not only did he kill this child, he accidentally killed his wife, kicking her to death. But it doesn't matter because he was a hedonist and his truth was pleasure, hedonism. He was really sad that he killed his wife and so he mourned his wife's loss for a while until he found a young slave boy that he thought in his twisted mind looked like his dead wife. So he had the child, the young boy castrated and made him dress for the next few years as his wife and treated that young boy as his wife for the next few years. You say that's terrible! Who says Who says? Who says it's bad? Why is it bad? You say, I say, because he's a hedonist. And his truth is whatever gives him pleasure is what he ought to do. Rome was burning around him, the very society that he was leaving. And as Rome burned, he blamed the Christians and the Jews for doing so. And because he was a hedonist, the best thing he could do is persecute the Christians and the Jews by dipping them in oil, crucifying them to trees, and lighting them on fire. And they lit the streets of Rome for weeks at a time, months at a time. You say, that's terrible. Why is it terrible? Who are you to judge this man? He's a hedonist, just like we are, those who believe this philosophy of life. At the end of his life, he could find no more pleasure, no more people to follow him. So he took a knife to his throat, and before he sliced his gullet open, he said this, thus dies one of the world's greatest artists. It gave him pleasure to do so. Now, how many of you in this room think hedonism is a good philosophy to live your life by? If you do... Try it, you have a free will, you do you, bro. You do you. say, man, I don't want that truth, maybe there's a better truth. How about the truth of stoicism? Where hedonism elevates pleasure, stoicism elevates virtue. Virtue is the highest form of good to be righteous. And to look down your nose upon those who are not righteous. This is what a Stoic represents. I feel no pleasure and I feel no pain because I'm dead to everything. Stoicism was an ancient philosophy that's found in every culture as well. It goes by different names. One of the most famous Stoics was really a, a pendulum swing away from Nero to another Roman emperor named Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius responded to hedonism by saying, I don't want a life like that, so I'll become very virtuous, religious, stoic is his philosophy of life. Marcus Aurelius, you might say, I don't know who he is, but you do. How many of you remember the movie Gladiator? Anybody remember the movie Gladiator? You know that old dude that gets choked out at the beginning of the movie? That's Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, that's the guy. And Marcus Aurelius loved the concept of doing that rich is right. The problem, you see, that sounds good. It is good, except the problem with Stoicism teaches that you can pursue go- good apart from God. You don't need God, you just need to be good. Isn't it true that a lot of people in our society today believe this? You don't need God to be good, you just need to be good. This is what uh, Marcus Aurelius actually stated. Look at this quote. Live a good life. If there are gods and they are just, then they will not care how devout you have been, but will welcome you based upon the virtues you have lived by. If there is a god or if there are gods, at the end of life, you'll be able to weigh your good deeds against your bad deeds. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you go to heaven. And, he goes on, if there are gods, but they are unjust, then you should not want to worship them. And if there are no gods, then you will be gone, but you will have lived a noble life that will live on in the memories of the loved ones. It sounds very good, especially to the modern American, this idea of, hey, if there is a God, I'll just do good things. And if there is not a God, it doesn't matter because I have done good things. The problem with this philosophy is life is that there is this belief that there's some kind of a cosmic scale that is weighing all of your good deeds and your bad deeds. And if your good deeds, because I'm so righteous, more righteous than others, outweigh my bad deeds, then when I die, I go to heaven. And if my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds when I die, I go to hell. Here's the problem: There's no scale. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says that's not how it works. There's no scale. Here's how it really works. If you have broken one law of God, you stand condemned for eternity. One. You say, well, I'll just make up for it by good works. Even your good works are filthy to God. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, are you saying there's no hope? Not if you're a Stoic. Here's the point, look what it says in James chapter two and verse 10. It actually says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet break one, stumble in one point, he is guilty of breaking the whole law. You say, but I've got a lot of good and I have a little bit of bad. doesn't matter, that one little bad erases all of your good. Like this, imagine you're in your home and you have a ring at the doorbell and you ignore it because it's just Amazon. And then they ring it again, and they ring it again, and you realize maybe it's not Amazon. And so you go to the door, and you open it up, and there's a little boy. It's Jack from next door. He's a 12-year-old boy, and he's holding his BB gun. And you're like, whoa, Jack, don't shoot. And he's like, don't worry, sir. I'm just here because I got to tell you something. What'd you do, Jack? He said, well, you got to come out back. And you go out back, and he's standing there by the window. He says, you see, sir, I, I kind of shot your window. You see the hole there? I'm sorry. You're like, don't worry about it, Jack. Your dad's rich. He'll pay for it. And Jack says, no, sir, don't worry about it. I'm going to pay for it. You think, good for you, Jack. That's personal responsibility. He said, in fact, sir, I've already done the calculation. According to my calculation, I've only broke one one one-hundredth of your window. And I already looked it up online. It's only going to cost $300 to fix the window, which means I owe you $3. And he pulls out of his dirty little pocket $3 and hands it to you. You say, well, that's not going to work, Jack. No, it's not. Do you know why? Because if you broke a small part of the window, you broke the whole window. Hear me. There are a lot of religious people who think I haven't broken many of the laws. Listen, Jack, you broke one law. You broke the whole thing. Listen, listen. You and I are as damnable as any sinner that ever was. You aren't going to like this next statement, but here it goes. If Hitler goes to hell, so do you. That's the gospel truth. say, what am I going to do? Well, you can live by stoicism and then get in heaven and you'll be really surprised when you stand before God and realize that one breaking of the law damns you forever. So, you could be a hedonist, you could be a Stoicist, you could be hedonism, stoicism, or or you say, well, there are other philosophies of life. I'll run through a few. How about humanism? Humanism elevates man and says mankind is the answer to all of our problems. If, look, look, if, (laughs) look, (laughs) look, if you believe this after living for a few years, you are not very smart. Mankind is not the answer to all of our problems. Mankind is the, result, is the beginning of all of our problems. Some of us have lived long enough to reject humanism, and so we begin to embrace another false reality of life or a false philosophy of life, and that is... Um, go to the next one, and that is nihilism. Nihilism is, man, I'm sick and tired of humanity. They're never gonna solve the problems. No one's ever gonna solve the problems. In fact, I don't think these problems will ever be solved by anybody. Men can't do it, therefore, nobody can do it. And we embrace embrace another false philosophy of life. Any Americans in the room? Can I get an American amen? Amen. (laughs) They're like, that sounds like a setup. It is, it is, all right. (laughs) Here's what Americans like to do. Americans like to create our own philosophies like capitalism and socialism. Now, you'll notice in all of these isms, there is a small element of truth, but they are not the only truth. Capitalism elevates personal responsibility often at the neglect of charity and generosity, whereas socialism on the other side elevates equality often at the expense of personal responsibility. And you know what the devil's done? It's brilliant, it's brilliant. It's taken the United States of America and given its two different isms, and now we fight each other, and both of them are equally right and equally wrong. They are not the truth. Well, you you live life long enough, you get to a place where you're like, maybe there is no truth. Maybe they're all true. Maybe none of them are true. And now you've just embraced relativism. Relativism says there is no truth. There is no truth at all. There's no way to know truth. And you're like Pontius Pilate looking in the eyes of Jesus, and you're so confused in your personal life, even though on the outside, you're constantly presenting yourself as if you know what you're doing, and you're looking at people and acting like you know exactly what's going on, but inside you're scared like a child, just like Pontius Pilate, and you're looking at Jesus and you say, what is truth? Please tell me what is truth. Relativism, you're lost and you're scared. And you say, well, pastor, is there a better way? Oh, there is one way. Is there a better truth? Oh, there is one truth. And his name is Jesus. Here's the philosophy of life. It's called the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus is the truth. Now, the Christians around you are excited to hear that because they know what the gospel means. Christians, give me two minutes to explain what the gospel is to those who don't know. The gospel means good news, and it begins this way. God doesn't hate you, God loves you, even though you're screwed up. <laughs> Any other screwed up people? Anybody else, just Josh? If you don't raise your hand, it's because you're kinda of screwed up. You, know, you think, I'm better than everybody else. You sin, you sin. Anybody ever make a mistake? Anybody ever sin against somebody else, or sin against yourself, or sin against God? Break one of the laws? You say, man, what if I keep the laws? Remember, we already covered that. You can't keep all the laws. How many of you would say, yeah, pastor, you're right, I make mistakes, I sin against God, I've done sin. Raise your hand if that's you, look at you. Look around, a bunch of wicked people come to church today. (laughs) Sinner, the Bible says God loves you, but you're a sinner, we're all sinners, we're all sinners, in fact, Romans chapter three and verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Not your mama, not your grandma, certainly not your daddy, not your pastor, can I get hallelujah, amen. Not one righteous. No, not one. You say, big deal. So what? So we're all in the same boat. Yeah, the problem is in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. What we get for our sin is death, physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death in a place called hell. Ezekiel chapter number 18 makes it very clear. It says, the soul that sins, that's the one that will die. You raised your hand a moment ago or you didn't because you're a liar? Listen. You're the sinner, so am I. The soul that sins, it shall die. Some of you are still offended by the Hitler statement. He goes to hell for his sin. You go to hell for your sin. I go to hell for my sin. That's what it says. You say, well, I blame my parents. The son shall not bear the guilt of his father, nor the father bear the guilt of his son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. That means your sin is stuck to you just like my sin is stuck to me. The question is, can you wash it off? Well, Stoicism says just try to do nice stuff. Clean it up. It's called religion. And a lot of religious places, even on a day like this, will tell you all you got to do is work real hard. And if you work real hard, all you got to do, you wipe off all the bad stuff and you'll be fine. Friend, you can't wipe it off. It's stuck on you. So what do I do? That's the good news. (laughs) Oh friend, Romans chapter five and verse eight it says, but God demonstrated his love to you in that while you were yet a sinner and so was I, Christ Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He paid a debt that he did not owe so that you could go to heaven to be with him. The Bible goes on to say this, much more now we've been justified by his blood. We are now saved from the wrath because of him. That's the truth. You say, well, how do I get saved? Very simple. All you have to do to be saved by Jesus, according to Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's the gospel truth. Here's the problem. As believers, there are many Christians, even here today, and it's been true of me in my life, that we have focused on all of these other partial truths in life. We have left behind the truth of the gospel, and therefore we don't understand it anymore. This is why, starting next Sunday for three weeks, I'm intentionally preaching a three-week sermon series after Easter called Awaken. Awaken to wake Christians up to the reality that we have left behind the gospel and we've traded in for false narratives and lesser truths. Christian, hear me. If you look at your life and say, I believe in Jesus, but I think I've gone off of the way. I think I've begun to believe other truths. I think I've lost my life in this world. Man, you don't want to miss the next three weeks. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and Jesus said, lastly, I am the life. Say, I am the life, I am the life. Imagine in your mind, one last time, not a grassy hillside and not a Roman politician. (laughs) This time I want you to picture a long dusty road right outside of the gates of an ancient city. Three crosses sit perched just near a hillside. As you approach these crosses, you notice there are people gathered around, and you can't quite hear what they're all saying, but then vaguely you hear the first faint sound of a man yelling, but not a yell of terror, but a yell of compassion. He cries out, Father! Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing, and the voice lofts through the crowds to your ears, and you think, what is this, and you approach it. As you do, you notice at the foot of the cross, there are are Roman soldiers, they're gambling it looks like. As you walk by, you hear gossip, somebody says, he saved others, why can't he save himself? As you stand there, suddenly another Roman soldier pushes back and you, 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 you're off guard. You look at him and he has a spear in his hand and a sponge at the end of the spear and he's lifting it up toward the criminal in the middle and the criminal in the middle says, I thirst, I thirst. The Roman soldier takes the sponge down, turns around and he says as he walks right by you, he said he was the king of the Jews. And that's when you see it for the first time because your eyes are drawn and to the foot of the cross and then elevated to the st- to the feet that have been nailed to that tree higher to the knees that are bent modesty outraged the chest and back torn to shreds the face pummeled th- crown of thorns upon his head and above his head a sign written The king of the Jews. Suddenly your gaze is taken away from the middle cross because to the left there's another criminal and he finally speaks. They're right. You saved others. You can save yourself and save us if you really are the Messiah. Silence. The third criminal speaks, leave him alone, don't you see what's happening here? He's a just, innocent man, we deserve what we're getting, we've done wrong, he's done nothing, and then he looks to the middleman. Lord, Jesus looks up and looks. W- Will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And that moment, Jesus gives a promise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Would a promise from Jesus be good enough for you? say man I, I would love to have eternal life you know what the problem is the difference between the man on the cross and many of us in this room is the man on the cross was a sinner like us should have been damned like we should be damned the difference is he knew he was about to die what would it be like if you knew the date time and day of your death it'd be terrible wouldn't it except for one thing you could get all of your business arranged See, the difference between him and you is that he knew he was about to die. He better take care of his soul. And so he looked over to Jesus and said, I'm a sinner, I deserve this, but you're the savior, will you help? And Jesus promises him, you will have eternal life with me in heaven. Is there anybody here that's desperate enough to call upon Jesus Christ for salvation? Some of you are, are, are not and you're okay with that because you've got your own way good luck. Some of you have your own truths and maybe hedonism will work out for you or stoicism or one of the other isms. Good luck with your truth. As for me, I want abundant life here and eternal life there, and I'm putting all of my eggs in the proverbial basket of that middle criminal named Jesus. I'm calling upon him to ask him to save my soul. Have you done that? Have you repented of your sins and received Jesus Christ as your savior? Oh friend, regardless of how you got here today, God got you here today and he wants to save your soul. Will you repent and receive Jesus now? If you're willing to, let's bow our heads and pray. Let's pray, Father. Father in heaven, give insight into this moment for the soul that must be saved even now Help us to see the importance of your truth, your way, your life. In Jesus' name we pray.